Welcome. I'm Elizabeth Tamlin, and I am a senior leader in our Bible study, and I'm happy to be with you this morning. I have a great video from our very own junior high ministry that I want to start with. Well, yeah, I'm sorry too. I know. It would have been cool, but go go watch the Real Street home videos and you'll realize that um, you don't want yeah, you don't you don't want Bodie in your house or around your family anytime soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll come by. Okay. Hey, thanks again. Alright, bye. So I heard you were talking about me behind my back. No, I was talking about you right right here in front of your face. Well, I don't depreciate it, all right? Well, you don't appreciate it, all right? Right, and I don't depreciate you correcting my Grammy, so... Grammy? Er? Something? Grammy-er? Vocabulary? Uh, the way I talk, the way we put words and sentences right, and stuff stop together? stop talking. Do you realize that you're just making yourself sound like more of a moron? You just keep saying capillary. Uh, do I like wearing socks to bed? Now what does that mean? Do I like wearing socks to bed? The answer to that is the answer to your question. Well, I didn't want you to answer my question. It was a rhetorical question. Rhetorical question is more of a statement. No. That doesn't... The answer is no. Let me ask you another question. Do you know what a rhetorical question is? Ditto. Okay. The question I just asked was a yes or no question. Pass. So, no. Likewise. Okay, rhetorical question. This is just to help you is like a figure of speech, and it's more of a statement meant to communicate something, but it doesn't demand a response. But I did respond. Right. So who's got two thumbs pointed at the smart guy? This guy! No, this guy. Let me pray. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for these chapters in Isaiah, Father. We thank you for your word, which is always true, and that we can learn from something from every time we read it. And we thank you that it's alive. And Father, we just lift our hearts to you this morning. Pray that each of us would go away with something new that would change our lives, Father, that we would not be the same as we leave as when we entered. And we thank you for Isaiah, and we just um, thank you that you reveal your truth and who you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, today we are going to look at the character of God, and we're going to do it through kind of a fun little grammar lesson. And so there were so many ways that we could have gone with these scriptures. There's so many great passages, the, the whole being weary and not growing tired, and then all the fear nots or do not fear. Then we've got um, the one that we're memorizing on when you go through the waters and when you walk through the fire and all those things. And Lord, and I just think that there's so many great things that we could have gone with. But this, I've chosen to go with um, the greatness of God. And so um, I, I'm going to go ahead and start with, I just have to tell you that sometimes with great embarrassment, sometimes I give ideas to God. Like if I come to him with a prayer, then I'll think, you know, you could work it out this way, or maybe you could work it out that way, or this way would bring you great glory. So maybe you should do that. And so, so just back up in case lightning gets me. But God reminds us of who he is through his character, we're good. Okay, we're going to go back to our original intro and watch this, these clever people from our junior high ministry. <laughs> That's good. Good sign. Well, yeah, I'm sorry too. 
I know. It would have been cool, but go go watch the Reality Street home videos and you'll realize that um, you don't want yeah, you don't you don't want Bodie in your house or around your family anytime soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll come by. Okay. Hey, thanks again. Alright, bye. So, I heard you were talking about me behind my back. No, I was talking about you right right here in front of your face. Well, I don't depreciate it, alright? Well, you don't appreciate it, alright? Right, and I don't depreciate you correcting my Grammy, so... Grammy? Er? Something? Grammy-er? Vocabulary? Uh, the way I talk, the way we'll put words and sentences right, and stuff stop together? stop talking. Do you realize that you're just making yourself sound like more of a moron? Uh, do I like wearing socks to bed? No, what does that mean? Do I like wearing socks to bed? The answer to that is the answer to your question. Well, I didn't want you to answer my question. It was a rhetorical question. Rhetorical question's more of a statement. No. It doesn't... The answer is no. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Do you know what a rhetorical question is? Did it? The question I just asked was a yes or no question. Pass. So, no. Likewise. Okay, rhetorical question. This is just to help you. It's like a figure of speech, and it's more of a statement meant to communicate something, but it doesn't demand a response. But I did respond. Right. So who's got two thumbs pointed at the smart guy? This guy. No, this guy. Who's got two thumbs pointed at the idiot? This guy. Because if I would have done this, it would have. Wait. Oh, that's great. Very, ta very talented staff. But I, I chose that because we are going to be talking about our English lesson, and a rhetorical question would be part of that English lesson. And so um, God reminds us right at the very beginning of Isaiah 40, um, in, chap in, in verses 12 through 14, he reminds us of who he is through rhetorical questions. So I thought that'd be a fun intro. And they read to us, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust in his, of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as a counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? So these are not questions we have to answer. They are rhetorical. So when we say, Lord, I don't understand my situation or I'm struggling with this, he reminds us of who he is and that he doesn't need our suggestions or our advice. So today our chapters focus on the greatness of God. We saw in the early chapters of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, we saw the judgment for Judah for her refusal to adhere to the law. And now we have restoration and deliverance through a mighty and loving God. And so that's, how we wanna, that's what we want to focus on today is the greatness of God. And I want to do it kind of through this English lesson. So we're talking about English 101, the grammar of God. And we're going to talk about um, God being a noun and the different names that we call God. There's a sheet on your chair that are the different names of God. We're gonna talk about God and the verbs he does and uses, and also adjectives, how do we describe God? So we're gonna start off with God the noun, and we know that a noun is a person, place, or thing, and there are many names for God. Just in our eight chapters, we have some amazing names for God. 
Um, and when we engage, if, if you're ever in a prayer group where we engage in the ACTS, the Acts, Confession, Thanksgiving, and uh, supplication. The A is really where we're talking here, the names of God, the different things that we can call him. In chapter 40 alone, he is called the sovereign Lord. In, a chapter, in a verse 11, he is shepherd. In 25, he's the holy one. In 28, he's creator. In the, the uh, 41st chapter, he's redeemer, and it goes on. Throughout the whole chapter, he's called savior and king, Israel's king, redeemer, the Lord Almighty. So God is a, he, he is a noun. He is a person, and he's got many different names that we can call on him um, as we pray to just remember the character of God, that we know he's fully human and fully God, but he is all these things, and he's all of them at the same time. And so that the sheet in front of you might be able to help you. So when you're thinking, I'm really struggling, Lord, with being anxious about this, then I can remember you are my provider and you are my redeemer, and whatever it is, he, he can meet that need. And so he is our lion and our lamb. Sometimes we need a strong warrior, and he's that. But sometimes we need a gentle shepherd to tenderly take care of us, and he is that as well. And so from the New Testament, we also know that <clears throat> in John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In 1 John 1, 5, God tells us that he is the light. And in 4.16, 1 John, he says that God is love. So he's all these things. He's all these names and he's all these qualities and all these characteristics. God is a noun. God is also a verb or he uses verbs to act, interact with us. And I start with the be verbs. And I remember back, I don't remember much from elementary school, but I do remember be as am or was where been. And I don't know why that stuck with me, but those are all the be verbs. And God, in many ways, is a be verb. Now, my children write papers these days, and sometimes if they use a be verb in the sentence, that's bad. I didn't know that until recently. So if you say, Thomas Jefferson was a great man, eh, no good. But if you say, greatness was exhibited in the character of Thomas Jefferson, that's good. But in God's, in God's economy, a be verb is just fine. And God is a be verb. And we know that he was and he is, and he is to come, and I love that about him. He is past, present, and future. So when we hear God call himself, I am, that's it. That's all we need to know, really. There's no further talk is needed, no further explanation, and no further words, I am. In uh, chapter 41, we see that he calls himself, I am he. Um, it goes on to, we find, I am the Lord your God. Um, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God, yes, and from ancient days, I am he. I am the first and the last. I am God and there is no other. I am he, I am the first and the last. And in Exodus, he refers to himself or um, he says, I am who I am. And so when we sometimes say, but God, I'm scared, I am. He says, but Lord, I feel betrayed, I am. But Jesus, do you remember, I am. And so when he refers to himself as I am, that's all we need to know. I am, there should be a period there. It is the end of the sentence. It's the end of discussion. Stop, it's complete. Case closed, it's all covered. No more explaining is necessary. We are done here. I am. Now God is also in the action verbs, and I love that about him because he's not just a noun or saying I am, but he also does things. And he does, he did things in the past, he does things in the present, and he will do things in the future. And so we usually know action verbs as things like run, jump, play, go, but he does take action for us. And I think sometimes when we use that ACTS prayer, when we get to the Thanksgiving part, that's the part where we thank him. Lord, thank you that you care for me, and thank you that you provided in this way, and thank you for all the different action that you take for us. It's so personal, and it's such a good quality of him. So we've got the greatness of God in the mightiness, and we've got the goodness of a tender, 
person that cares for us. Um, and so we see in some of, the, some of the action verbs that we see in these chapters are that he rules, his arm rules for him, he tends his flock, he gathers the lambs and carries them close to his heart, he gently leads those who, that, that have young. He has measured the waters, marked off the heavens, held the dust, weighed the mountains. He stretches out the heavens, spreads them out like a tent. He brings, he reduces, he calls, he hands, he subdues, he turns, he pursues. It goes on and on and on. God is a God of action, and he loves us, and he continues to provide for us by doing things. And um, so God uses, we also see in the New Testament that God sends Jesus, and he is also a man of action. And in, just from the New Testament, just as I kind of surveyed through, I saw many verbs that Jesus did in the New Testament. He heals, teaches, warns, calls to repentance, brings to salvation, challenges, drives out demons, rebukes, blesses, grieves, weeps, raises from the dead. Wow. This is a God of action. God is, he is in his own timing, but he is a very personal side of God when he acts like this. Um, his character is who he is and what names he is and his qualities, but the verb part of God is what he does for us. In fact, it reminds me of the verse from Romans, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his, uh, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we have God demonstrates his love for us and Christ died for us. Again, two verbs showing action showing that he loves us. And so it reminds me of, you know, what we do matters. People can learn from what we do. <clears throat> and we know from James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? And so what we do does matter. It doesn't get us to heaven. It's not the formula to get to heaven, but we don't work our way to heaven, but as a response to a loving God and to show him that we love him, we can, we can do for others. We can love them. We can care for them. And um, it's not a checklist, but, but a response to love is to take action. And that's what he does for us every day. So when someone looks at your life, uh, what you do tells them what you value, how you spend your time. Um, how, what do you spend your time with? So it, would it be that you are involved with TV, tennis, and decorating, or planning your next vacation? Or are you training your children, serving, bringing meals to people, loving others in a way that brings glory to him? So how we spend our time does matter. It's not a checklist for heaven, certainly not, but it does, uh, as a response to loving God, it makes us want to do for others like he does for us. Um, the last part of our little English lesson is um, how we describe God. And you know, I think sometimes our words these days get somewhat watered down. Um, awesome, you know, we use the word awesome to describe God, but we use the word awesome to describe pizza. And so, you know, it's like, you know, the, the most glorious words I can think of are majesty, awesome, the word majestic, but they seem watered down. We have a theater name, the majestic. The, you know, what, what word can we use? But, and we see that um, in these verses, in these books of Isaiah that we studied, that God is, is many adjectives. And we see that he is, he's mighty, that he is everlasting, that he will not grow tired and weary like I do. Um, he is a loving God when he tells us at the very beginning of these chapters, comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So he is a loving, loving God. And again, that's how we describe him. We see that he is an eternal God. All men are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the breath of the Lord blows on them. 
Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And these verses, very similar, are also found in 1 Peter 1, 24. And so we see that the word of God matters in our lives. And um, we should, we're going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. But we also see uh, God described as being a God of comfort. We see him described as eternal, um, uh, omniscient, omnipotent, righteous, gracious, compassionate. He's a righteous judge. He is sovereign. He has all these qualities, and these are descriptions of this mighty God. And we can know all about God. We can know him as a noun, and we can know him as all the things he does by his verbs, and we can know him by his adjectives. But, but when we want to, but we come to know God, we want to get it to, we want to even get to know him even better. And today we sang the song, How Great Is Our God. And I love that song. It has such personal meaning for me. Many of you know the sweet Thweet family who lost their daughter, Sydney, to leukemia. And they played this at her funeral. And I remember just the emphasis and the power that it had for us to be able to know that this sweet family has lost their child. And we, with integrity, can still pray, how great is our God. And I know her parents sang that, and they believed it because it's true. And so at times like that, he is still great, and he is still our God, and he is still mighty. So I would ask you, where do we go with all this? If we really believe that he is so amazing and he is so great, we should be compelled to love him more. When you find out these wonderful qualities, how can you not fall in love with who he is? But having this information is not enough. So when we know God's greatness, it draws us to love him more. So in life, when we love somebody, what do we do? We pay attention to them. We might give them gifts. We certainly spend time with them. So these are, these are the things that we can do to show, to show God that we love him. But God is very specific in how he measures uh, whether or not he thinks that we love us. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. In the same chapter, in verse 21, he, re, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And um, in verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So he's pretty clear about what the measure is of of showing that he loves us. Um, Charles Stanley writes in a devotional that I read, the measure of our love is obedience to God's commands and principles. Following his instructions is so important that Jesus stressed it three times in John 14. This wasn't a new concept for the disciples either. They would have been familiar with the scriptural connection between love and obedience. And that's found in Nehemiah and Daniel. In fact, God has always emphasized that the way to show our devotion is by doing what he says. I could preach a thousand sermons about loving God. Half-hearted commitment can look pretty good to others, but the Lord knows the difference. Believers may lift their hands in worship, serve vigorously, show support missions, and even say all the right words. But unless we're following God's commands from his holy word, the most we're showing him is lukewarm affection. Loving the Lord means obeying him. So he's pretty clear about that. So obedience is not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of mustering up the energy so that I can just do all the rules and be a rule follower and do everything he says to do. It's much more about surrender and allowing him to transform us. And so um, we want to know, what does it really look like to obey God? What does it look like? We know some of the biggies, right? We know, do not kill. We're not going to go rob a bank, hopefully. Um, we, we know that it says we should honor our parents, but I think sometimes um, we, we need to examine our hearts and our minds. I know that those are the things that are more difficult for me. So you could look at me and think, well, she looks pretty, pretty obedient. She, you know, she hadn't been to jail or anything like that. But really, um, God wants us to, to look, examine our hearts and our minds. 
<clears throat> James 1.22 tells us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So we can love God. We can say we love God. We can try to obey him. But what, we, what he really wants us to do is to follow his word. We, and now how do we follow it? We can't just follow it if we don't know it. And so we see that we should be, uh, it's a great thing to be in Bible study so that we can be growing, we can be learning because we, we don't even know what it looks like to really obey him unless we know what his word says. How, otherwise, we're just kind of making it up. <clears throat> so as we look at our chapters um, in Isaiah, we see that you know, the Israelites struggled with this also because they had all that idol worship. Now, we may not be um, worshiping little wooden statues, but what about things like cars and homes, zip codes, schools, things like that? Those might hit home a little bit more. And, and the Israelites, they trusted men and their strong leaders and allies and um, not God. So does that ring a bell where we may not be trusting another country to be an ally, but we trust a relationship or we trust that we know somebody or that, that kind of thing. And so those could be idols in our lives. And so I want you to um, just consider some of, the, some of the things that I struggle with are not things on the outside. They're not things that you could see, and, but they are still struggles in my heart. And the Lord knows it. He knows the true measure of my obedience. So I would, when I act selfishly or prideful, you know, is that obeying God? And God's word is very clear. It says from Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to those of others. So, <clears throat> so when I'm acting prideful or selfishly, that is not obeying God. And so it might, it's kind of hard for you to measure that, but he knows and I know. And so um, I, I thought, thought of the example for myself is when I'm driving and someone cuts in front of me. And or, or like they want to, you know, butt their way in. And somehow I have like this standard in my mind that if they thank me, it's okay. Thank you. So if you ever, if you ever caught in front of me, just give me a wave and I'll be fine. But, <clears throat> but I, you know, just those kind of, and I, that's pride. You know, that's, that's just, it's small and tiny, but it happens all the time. That is just pride. Like I deserve to be in the spot and you, you shouldn't have waited to go up the lane and try to cut in. Whatever it is, that is pride. That is selfish thinking, selfish ambition. And those are the kind of mindful things that I need to think of. Um, another str struggle would be complaining or, um, uh, and, and, and is so when I complain, is that obeying? And it might not even be that I complain out loud, but my mind it just starts on this mental, you know, this mental spiral of something negative. And so um, uh, Philippians also tells us to do everything without complaining or arguing so that we may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And so grumbling, complaining, arguing, those are things that he's very specific. He tells us not to do it. It may not be in the Ten Commandments. And again, you may not know that that's happening, but in my mind or in your minds, if, if you have those kind of negative thoughts or those complaining thoughts, God is very clear what he thinks about that. Do, not, do everything without complaining or arguing. And so l last week, my SBC Global was out for like five hours. 
and I know you feel terrible for me. <laughs> but in my mind, I would just went on and on about how important I was and how I couldn't be without my email and what is wrong with this company. And, but I, mean, I wasn't saying it. No one was around, <laughs> or I might have been saying it. But, but, you know, just those mind thoughts of, you know, I'm so inconvenienced. And so in my mind, I was doing that complaining. And no one else may have known but God. But he's still, he's still looking at me going, that is not obedience. So let's look at some others. What about being discontent? Philippians also tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. That's pretty clear. That is pretty darn clear. Philippians 4.11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So he's telling us again, don't compare yourselves. Be happy where you are, or be content where you are. I think there's a difference. Be joyful. And um, so I struggled recently with spring break vacations. Again, it's like everyone seemed to go somewhere but me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's so ridiculous. And I may not have even told anybody that. But again, it was in my mind, and God knew what I was thinking. And so I was not, I was being discontent, and I was not being joyful, and I was not um, knowing what it was to be in need and have plenty, feeling the same about those. So these are just some of the ones that, that have come to my mind. Another one would be, what about being anxious? And um, Philippians also tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, by, by prayer, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he's not, he's not saying that we have to, um, he's, he is telling us that we, it's, it's very clear, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer. So there's, your, there's our key right there. So it could be sometimes I might wake up in the middle of the night, it might be something as, as big as, just the future and college funds and retirement, things like that. Or it might be, will my daughter make the drill team next year? So, you know, either way, he's telling us very clearly what to do and how to bring ourselves captive, to, but to, by, to do it by prayer. And again, God is judging me by my obedience. It's very clear what scripture says about being anxious. Um, the next one would be, what about serving others? Is that really necessary? And 1 Peter 4.10 tells us each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So again, I like to serve in ministry, not quite so much at home. God knows my heart, and he knows when I'm being obedient. What about submitting to your husband? 1 Peter 3, wives in the same way, be submissive to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So when is the last time you won over your husband by just your behavior and not your words? Um, so those are good ones that we can go on with. Uh, and also about stewardship, just in taking care of ourselves. What is the right amount? Like, it's okay to color your hair, but Botox is too much. Um, <laughs> manicures are okay, but pedicures, oh, that's too much. Waxing, laser, surgery. In Dallas, it's, everything is the gamut. And God just asks us to examine our spending and our stewardship and decide what is right. So we can, be, we can look like we fit just fine, but we need to each one of us examine in our own hearts what is obedience to God. Um, let's see, I know I need to wrap up. So I would just want to wrap up with saying that so obeying God means that we know what he says so that we can know what to do. So in many ways, we only know if we're being, this is the only way we, only we know if we're being obedient to God, okay? So other people may not know. So at my children's elementary school, they have a saying or a motto called esse quam videri. It's Latin, and it means to be rather than to seem. And God does not just want us to seem pure and holy. He wants us to be that way, and so we have to rely on him. Now, I have a little prop here. I have three gold necklaces. 
and they are not all pure. And so we, they both look pretty good. They all three look pretty good. They look like gold. They look like they would be fine for me to wear them. But only one is pure gold. And so that's where we want to go. That's where we want to be with God. We don't want to look a certain way for other people. God wants us to be pure and be holy. And we do it through our obedience to him. And only he knows when we're being obedient. You know, you, somebody else may know parts of your heart, but only God really knows if you're being obedient. So I would just ask you to, you know, surrender to him, to ask him what, what areas of your life you need to be obedient in. And I'm going to close with um, Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for these verses, and we do pray that we would be pure in heart for you, that we'd be, be obedient, and that as we learn of your greatness, that would draw us to love you. And as we love you more, we want to please you more. And pleasing you in your measurement stick means to obey you. Help us to learn to obey you, Father. Help us to know your word so that we even know what you want us to do. Thank you for these women today. In Jesus' name, amen.